Star Wars 7x7 episode 3160. It's a Mando Monday and it's just two days before the season three premiere. How exciting is that? So for today's episode, I took a look at the first seven issues of the Mandalorian adaptation from Rodney Barnes and Marvel Comics to see what we might learn or be refreshed about regarding the Mandalorian. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So Rodney Barnes is the writer adapter on season one of The Mandalorian for Marvel Comics. It's basically one issue for every episode. They are through seven of the eight episodes for that first season. And I figured, well, you know, we... <laughs> Might as well look at that now, even though they don't have the eighth issue out yet, because there are some fascinating things about that adaptation that I think are worth considering as we prepare for season three. The first one has to do with the title page that they have for every issue, which says that after the fall of the Galactic Empire, lawlessness has spread throughout the galaxy. And I thought that was a particularly fascinating way of framing the world of the Mandalorian, because as far as we know, it isn't really the entire galaxy where there are problems. It's the Outer Rim. It's that the New Republic has definitely established a foothold with you know all the rest of the general areas of the galaxy. Galaxy, but it is the outer rim where things are problematic and generally are always problematic in the Star Wars galaxy. Some nefarious business is usually happening out in the outer rim. And the other thing that's in that title page opener, it talks about the Mandalorian as having a quote, unshakable code of honor, unquote. And so the question out of that becomes, what is the basis of that code of honor? It is quite possibly the Children of the Watch and their philosophy, except he certainly breaks that at one point and then has to ask what he needs to do to be able to get right with the Children of the Watch again. It you know, could have been the Code of the Bounty Hunters Guild, except he violates that in season one when he decides that he doesn't want the Empire taking the child. Ultimately, I think it's a mix of the Children of the Watch's code and the Bounty Hunters code and something deeper within him that now would be a perfect time to learn about in season three. The second takeaway for you, and this also kind of has to do with whatever this unshakable code of honor is, has to do with his time prior to when we meet him in The Mandalorian, particularly when he was a part of Ram Malk's crew, where we meet them again in episode six, The Prisoner. There's a reference to some sort of job that took place on the planet called Alzok 3 and the Mandalorian says he did what he had to do and Sean, one of the people in that crew says, oh, but you enjoyed it, didn't you? And so you're given the idea that he probably did some really terrible things and probably killed a bunch of folks as part of that job. He, of course, says, well, you know, that was just what I had to do under the circumstances and whether he really enjoyed it or not. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that Sean is probably not totally incorrect with that statement, and maybe that's part of the reason why he ends up with the Children of the Watch. Maybe he feels like he's strayed too far from his Mandalorian upbringing. 
A third takeaway also related to the Code of Honor situation, and I feel like there's some elements of this that actually weren't in the show, so I'm going to have to go back and double-check this for sure, but in the fourth episode where he goes to Sorgan and meets Omera, they have a conversation about when the last time was that he took off the helmet, and he says yesterday to her, and I don't think that aspect was in the episode. And she was like, no, I mean in front of another person, and so he has to say, yeah, it was you know right around the time that those kids were were the age that they are, the kids that are playing with Grogu. And there's another thing he says to her, which is kind of interesting in terms of everything that's happened since, which is that he says, according to his belief system, if he takes the helmet off in front of another person, he's not supposed to put it back on again. Now, the funny thing about that is this. In chapter 15, when they you know, go find where Moff Gideon's light cruiser is, that mission, he doesn't technically take his helmet off in front of other people. He takes off an Imperial helmet because he's been in disguise, but he doesn't take off his Mandalorian helmet in front of other people. So he kind of slides on that. However, he does take it off for Grogu and in front of everybody else there in that final episode. But clearly he has it back on when we see him in the Book of Boba Fett. And the armorer doesn't tell him to take the helmet off. So, yeah, I don't know where he's carrying around this idea. But it is interesting that he is definitely aware that he's not supposed to have the helmet on anymore. And yet he's violated that particular tenet of his religion, his version of the Mandalorian religion, and is probably carrying around a bit of guilt as far as that goes. So it probably made him feel good to come clean in front of the armor in those episodes. For a fourth takeaway, the Mandalorian in the beginning of the series was kind of a whiny jerk, as it turned out. I mean, you know, when he's on Arvala 7 with Queel, he, you know, has his ship stripped and he's like, you know, they stole my parts. And he's just really whiny and complaining about it. And Quill's like, well, we can trade them back. He's like, trade with a Jawa? Are you kidding? Like, he's very complaining to Quill. And then when they get all the stuff back, he's like, we need a full maintenance facility to do this. And it's going to take forever to do this. And Quill's like, well, it'll go faster if you help. Now, in his favor, he is very grateful to Queel for all the work that he does, and he tries to compensate him. Multiple instances, he tries to compensate Queel fairly for the work that he's done for the Mandalorian. So, you know, credit to him for that. But then you get him to Sorgan when the two villagers come and say, we need help with the raiders. And he's like, whatever you got, it's not enough. And he has no idea at this point who the Raiders are, how many of them they are. He doesn't know that they have an ATST at that point either, but he's also on this planet and has no money, no prospects, and is supposed to be hiding out for a couple of months. You'd think you would say yes to something like that, and he's like, nope, you couldn't pay me enough to do it. He's gotten better over the course of the two seasons, though, I'd say. And then for the fifth takeaway, the confusion about the Grogu situation continues to grow. So the client sends multiple bounty hunters out after Grogu and some of them actually have kill orders as opposed to what he discussed with Pershing and the Mandalorian. Clearly the client is aggravated about Pershing coming in in their conversation. This is in the very first episode and Pershing is like, we need it alive. And the client is like, yes, alive. Although, you know, 
bounty hunting is complicated, so debt is fine for a lesser fee, but it seems like the client has made other arrangements with other bounty hunters without purging around and just said dead is dead. And that seems to be supported by the third episode where the client is like, just get rid of the thing and be done with it. And Pershing has to say, no, the, the guy wants him alive. The guy being Moff Gideon, of course, they just don't name him in that episode. And the client's like, well, fine, I can't guarantee your safety anymore. <laughs> he just doesn't want any part of it. So what is the client doing in all this? This is going to be one of those things I think that remains a mystery for quite a while. And also a mystery that will hopefully be resolved at some point is... Who else wanted Grogu and how long was he there? The client said that he was giving the Mandalorian last reported positional data, but Queel had said that bounty hunters were coming through all the time trying to break into that facility and get whatever was stashed in there. So it seems like the Empire learned about it only comparatively recently. Now that's a lot of muscle that got hired to protect Grogu, so I don't know what that's about, but that's one of those mysteries that I hope does get solved by the time we're through with the run of the Mandalorian. And that's what I've got for you on this Mando Monday episode, and that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. So it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it. As always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, but their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. And now, gambling terms. Snake eyes. Rolling ones with a pair of dice. Double down. Doubling the original bet for one more card. Bad beat when your strong hand gets beat. Illegal gambling can put you at risk. Protect our communities. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER.